Louie, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Rose? Where we're going, we don't need Rose. No. I am your father. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. You're listening to After the Ending, the only film podcast where we tell you what happens after the ending of your favorite films. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Spring and Phil Edwards. Hello and welcome to After the Ending. I'm Crouching Mike Spring. And I'm Hedden Phil Edwards. And uh, Phil, you know what episode this is, right? Yeah, it's an episode where we're doing... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> two movies we're going to talk about some movies and then talk about some more yeah. movies is that it yeah yeah good yeah. one uh what i was alluding to phil uh, is that this is our 99th episode our 99th full episode of after the ending which i think is pretty exciting because that means the next episode is this one i think you can figure out hold on 99 <laughs> one. carry the one. One, three. It's going to be a hundred. I did it, Mike. Oh, I did nice it. Nice job. Nice job. Yes. Who would have thought that we're almost at a hundred? I know. It's pretty crazy. We've been building up to it or counting down to it, however you want to look at it. And uh, we've been doing our movies we missed, which we're going to be wrapping up today. And then next episode is going to be our big hundredth episode, which is going to be uh, quite exciting. But we'll talk about that more a little bit later. But this is episode 99. We I'd are excited. Like to point out, though, as well, that with all the many episodes we've done as well, we've actually done 138 Yes, yes. We have done many more than 100 episodes, but as far as full, honest to goodness, after the ending episodes, we're coming up on the big 100. So either way, it's exciting. That's basically 200 film pitches we've done. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's also a whole lot of time we've spent talking to each other about movies. I know, considering we live on different sides of the Atlantic Ocean. (laughs) It is quite the logistical feat, actually. I'm rather proud of us. Technology is truly astounding. It is indeed. But we'll pat ourselves on the back a little bit more next episode. For now, Phil, why don't you tell people what we're talking about in this episode? Yes, we're going to be going after the ending of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon from 2000 and Jim Henson's The Dark Crystal from 1982. Uh, Mike, do you want to give the listeners a rundown on our top 10 films yeah this is a big one Uh, as you hopefully know we've been doing our movies we missed that's the films from the individual decades that we didn't either we hadn't seen when we did the list the first time around or just ones we've sort of reevaluated or wanted to fit on this list and this time we're doing the 2000s which actually encompasses 17 years 2000 to 2017 it's i think that there's some some really good movies to be talked about tonight oh totally and there's still many many more that you didn't make my uh, my final list yeah, lots of films to go through, but I think uh, I quite like the films. I narrowed it down. Yeah, so yeah. yeah. Uh, Aside from that one thirty-seven way tie that I've got, I, I did a pretty good job <laughs> of getting it narrowed down. So I haven't actually got as many ties. I could have had. I think the problem was I could have had many, many ties. So right, I decided to uh, yes. just go the other way. I kind of did the same thing. I have a couple, but not many. So it's gonna yeah, be fun yeah. though. Some really good movies and some things I've definitely revisited. Things I've discovered. Uh, and, and a lot of movies that I'm happy to talk about that we've, we haven't talked about before. Yeah, it was nice. I re- re-watched a couple of them, so that was good. Very cool. All right, well, let's get into our films then. Uh, what do you say we start off with Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon? Yeah, I'll crack on them with uh, Crouching Tiger and Hidden Dragon. It's the 2000 film directed by Ang Lee. Uh, it's, I tried to keep it brief, but I was, I'd forgotten how much actually went on with it. There's lots of flashbacks and things like that, but uh, I've managed to cut out lots of them. But okay, 18th century uh, the Qing di- Dynasty in China, we see a warrior, Li Mu Bai, played by Chao Yun-Fat. He gives his sword, which is called the Green Destiny, to an old friend uh, called Yu Shu Lin, played by Michelle Yeoh. He asks her to pass it on to their benefactor, Sir T. Uh, we learn that Shu Lian and Mu Bai had feelings for each other over the years, but they never acted on it, as Shu Lian was engaged to Mu Bai's closest friend, who had sadly died. However, the Green Destiny is stolen from Sir T's estates, and Mu Bai and Shu Lin uh, think that an infamous bandit, the Jade Fox, has stolen the sword. Uh, they track the Jade Fox down and fight, but they're interrupted by the real thief, who's all dressed in black, and the Jade Fox says that it is her apprentice, because we learn that Jade... What does the Jade what? Fox say? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Couldn't resist. Yeah, Jade Fox say. Yeah, it turns out uh, the real thief is the Jade Fox's apprentice, and we learn that the Jade Thief is also a woman. The real thief is called Jen, played by Zi Zhang, who is the daughter of a Manchurian governor. Jen decides to return the sword, and we learn she's in love with a bandit called Lo. Uh, things go a bit wrong, and she ends up running away with the Green Destiny, and is confronted by Mu Bai. They fight, and Mu Bai says that she'll train her, but she refuses, and Jen ends up in a cave with Jade Fox. Uh, Mu Bai and Shulen uh, track down the Jade Fox, and they fight. Uh, they defeat the Jade Fox, but Mu Bai is poisoned. 
Uh, Jen goes off to find ingredients for an antidote. For an antidote. Uh, and while, while they wait, Mubai professes his love to Shu Len. And then he sadly dies in her arms. The Green Destiny is returned to Serte. Jan returns to Lo, who finds her the next day on a bridge. And Jan jumps to her death. And that's basically Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Yeah, I like it basically. <laughs> yeah, I hope that made sense. Yeah, no, I think you did a good job with it. It's just to yeah. remind people of what, what happened. Yeah, it's a tricky one. What do you think of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Mike? You know, I, I like it. I think, I think obviously the action sequences are, are you know, fairly stunning. Um, I think that the the hubbub over the film when it came out was overblown. It was like, you mm. know, like, oh, this is so groundbreaking. It's like, well, really, you know, Wuxia films have been doing this for years. It's just that this yeah, is the yeah. first one that's been sort of mainstream theatrically released in America. Um, but it's a good one. And, you know, I like the actors in it. And like I said, the, the action set pieces are quite fantastic. But I, I think it's a little long and it, it drags in some places for me. So, uh, you know, the, the hidden dragon part is definitely an apt name as far as i'm concerned yeah i always find myself uh, disappointed with it yeah yeah because i mean i think the fight scenes are beautiful it's extremely well shot but there's just like as i say the flashbacks where we learn the backstory of jen and everything i just i remember watching the film and then suddenly that happened and just going what and it just felt like it put the brakes on the whole film yeah yeah and i could never get back into it after that yeah i I can't disagree with you i mean i I don't think it's a bad film by any stretch of the imagination but it's not one of my favorites yeah and uh people out there will be going why are they doing an after at the ending for this one when there's a sequel? Oh, that's and right. We, we we sort of forgot about that. Yeah, but it's uh, it's what is it? I think it's called Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Green Destiny. It was on Netflix a few years back. Uh, neither Mike or myself have seen the film, which is one of the reasons why we forgot about it. Yeah, sequels that come out 18 years later tend to not count as far as I'm concerned. I know, and it's uh, looking at some of the reviews on it, I don't think we're missing much, sadly. Right. Right, it's got some very low reviews, but yeah, we're just doing a sequel. We're are after the endings, follow on possibly from the the film from two thousand. Yes, exactly. I just wish that they had gone with a bit more of like a Fast and the Furious sequel style for the for the sequel name, like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon Two, Crouching or Hitting or Hidden Hitting Hidden <laughs> or Two Crouching Two Hidden, you know. <laughs> Or just, it just would have been Tiger Dragon 2. Right, right. And then and then it could be like crouching, comma, hidden. You know, like they could have just done, <laughs> done the whole you know, crouching and hidden, the crouching and the hidden. You know, More the, crouching, too hidden. Right, 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 exactly. You know, I think they could have, I think they really missed out on a chance to have some fun with the uh, the sequel name. But Could you imagine if they'd made a sequel and had Vin Diesel in it? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome. Still, mm-hmm. still set in like uh, medieval uh, China. And right. He's like a wandering swordsman. <laughs> <laughs> that would be pretty awesome. <laughs> I'd, I'd watch that. I, I have to admit, I would definitely watch that. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that was what happened in the film, Mike. Do you want to tell us what happened in your day after? Sure thing. Well, Shu Lian returns to her life. She's heartbroken over the loss of Mu Bai, and she's also sad to hear about Jen's death. She decides to leave her company as her heart is no longer in the work. She sells the company to a wealthy merchant, then takes the money and purchases a small cottage on the Chinese countryside. She begins meditating, and when a wandering priest stops at her door on his pilgrimage one day, she invites him in, feeds him dinner, and finds that talking to the man is soothing to her soul. She invites him to stay for a while, and he begins to teach her the ways of his peaceful philosophy. Meanwhile, a group of monks begin worshipping the Green Destiny Sword in secret after witnessing the battle at Mount Wudang. They take on the name the Wu Dang Clan. <laughs> and that's where I'm going to leave it for now because you can't really top that as an ending note. <laughs> I couldn't resist. When, oh, I, okay. when I was reading the summation and I saw that it was on Mount Wu Dang and I was like, well, I got to work that in because come on. Oh, I really hope that Wu, Mount Wu Dang isn't a real place. It's a real holy place. <laughs> right. I, well, I hope I didn't, you know, I did, certainly didn't mean to offend anybody, but. I had to That's do it. That's brilliant, though. I like it. Uh, I thank love you. It. Thank you. All right. Meanwhile, uh, let's hear what's going on in your day after. Okay. Almost 300 years later. Wow. Almost 300 <laughs> years later, a young Chinese-American woman named Julie entered a large museum in New York City. She had seen details of a new exhibition all about Chinese artifacts from the Qing Dynasty and had decided to check it out during her lunch hour. She wandered through the halls of the museum, looking over ancient pottery, statues, artwork, and more. It was absolutely fascinating, and she lost track of time. Julie entered a large hall at housed many ancient weapons. She looked at pole arms, armor, and many different swords, daggers, and the like. At first, she barely noticed it, but then her attention was drawn to one particular sword. It was in the corner of the hall. The long blade had intricate designs engraved into into it, and the hilt had a dragon head guard. The weapon was strangely green as well. She couldn't quite understand it. 
She found that she could barely look away from it. Then, without warning, she passed out. Mm. That's my day after. I like it. I like I like the modernization of it, taking it into the modern age. That's cool. A neat little twist. Thank you very much. But uh, that's what happened with me. What's going on with yours then? And the... <laughs> Just, just tells you immediate aftermath. Okay. <laughs> a few months later, the monk has taught Shulian everything he feels he can and is ready to go on his way again. Where will you go next? She asks him. I'm about to take a long journey to the west to find my half brother. He replies. Thank you for everything, Kwai Chang. Call me Kane. He says. Then heads out the door. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Shulian watches him walk into the distance, then reflects on the last few months. She feels at peace now, for the first time in many years. Meanwhile, the Wu Dang clan launches a plot to steal back the green <laughs> destiny from Sir Tay. After months of... Sorry, every time I hear <laughs> I know. That's okay. That's why I did it, so I'm glad. You, yeah. you chuckle okay. away, Phil. <clears throat> chuckle away. Yeah, okay. I'm chuckling, Mike. Right. I'm chuckling. Well done, Grasshopper. <laughs> After months of studying prophecies and rituals, they have determined that one among their group will be able to rise to power and take control of all of China with the green destiny in his hand. They call this mission the Wu Dang Plan. <laughs> that's, that's my immediate aftermath. Oh. I swear I was taking this seriously, but every time I came back to that, I had to work it in. That's, uh, that's very interesting. I'm try still trying to get over the Wu Dang Clan, but I, I do like the way it's going. I'm enjoying it so far, though. I'm enjoying the actual story. Oh, though. thank you. Thank you. So what's going on then in your immediate aftermath? Okay. Julie woke up. She was back in her small apartment in Brooklyn. She remembered being at the museum, but had no recollection of how she got back home. Looking at the clock, she saw it was almost 11pm. She got up and headed to the kitchen for some water. She checked the phone, and after seeing a number of missed messages, she realised that two days had actually passed since the museum. Feeling a little panicked, she sat down, and then spat out the water she was drinking when she saw the green sword was embedded in the coffee table in the living room. Because she was like, damn it, that was a brand new coffee table. Yeah, how much did that cost? <laughs> uh, before she had a chance to do anything else, the apartment door was kicked open, and a man dressed all in black entered. Shu Lian, called the stranger. We need to go. The clan of the Jade Fox are closing in. And that's my immediate aftermath. Oh, I like it. I like it. Thank you very much. Very cool. Okay, but uh, come on, I'm itching to know what happens with the Wudang plan. Uh, well, I'll tell you what's happening, Phil. Shu Lian stands atop Mount Wudang as lava sprays dramatically behind her. Mount Wudang isn't even a volcano, so it's even more dramatic than usual. <laughs> she, she faces the man who holds the green destiny, a man who has seemingly conquered all of China. Who are you? She yells. My fellow monks call me Wudang Chan. That's the best I come up with for that one. Sorry. <laughs> Clan and plan pretty much took the good ones. <laughs> anyway. Uh, dear, dear uh, God. <laughs> I'm dreading you asking me about the trivia for this one. <laughs> uh, all right. So. My real name is Werner Von Doom. I come from a long line of powerful sorcerers and rulers, and I've decided that China is ready for a new ruler. Not while I'm alive, says Xu Lian, and she throws herself at Von Doom, sword swinging high above her head. And no matter what she throws at him, he defeats her with the green destiny. She grows more and more angry, and each time she renews her attacks, it's more furious than the last. But there's no defeating Von Doom. As he laughs at her, she finds herself thinking back to her time with Cain. She seizes her attack, then sits down cross-legged. She begins to chant a Shaolin prayer, and she finds herself flooded with inner peace. Von Doom doesn't understand, but seeing his prey sitting helpless before him, he doesn't waste any time. With the blade just inches from her face, Shulian reaches up and traps the blade between her palms. With a sudden jerk, she snaps the blade in two, and all of its mystical energy is released with explosive results. Von Doom is instantly vaporized, and the lava ceases flowing. Shu Lian stands up, looks at the rising sun, and quietly says to herself, Thank you, Cain. And with that, she begins the long walk back to her cottage. And that's the end. Oh, very good. Thanks. I like that. Thanks. I had this big, you know, epic, very yeah, yeah. crouching tiger-y action scene in my head. So is that an ancestor of Victor Von Doom? It is, yes. That's what I had in my head, you know. Because yeah. Do you know, Victor Von Doom, Dr. Doom... Uh, for those who may not know who that is, Dr. Doom from the Marvel comics is, you know, he's part science, part sorcery. You know, his mother was a gypsy. Yeah, yeah. I, I, so I like the idea that this guy is kind of like, a, you know, an ancestor of Victor Von Doom. And he's kind of still that same type of despot, you know, ruler trying to take over the world type of thing. Yeah. Yeah, a little a little nod. No, that's very good. I really do hope uh, Marvel Studios managed to do like a decent Dr. Doom at some point. Yeah, I do too. No, I, I like I like the ending, Mike. That's very good. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, puns aside, it was also it was very good. <laughs> Thanks. All right, well, I want to hear what's going on with this uh, this uh, modern day. It sounds like it's getting a little action-packed, so give us your, your ending. Okay. The, the past few days have been a whirlwind of action and intrigue for Julie. The stranger, whose name was Mubai, 
claimed to be the reincarnation of an ancient Chinese swordsman. He also said that Julie was the reincarnation of his lost love, Yu Shulian. Julie did not believe that part of the story, but the fact they really were being chased by a group of people from the Jade Fox Clan did make her realise that some of her story must be true. For some reason, they were after the sword, the Green Destiny. Julie had used that very sword to fight off a number of the clan. As she'd never actually been trained in any form of fighting, she'd been blown away by this, by this turn of events. Maybe there was some truth in Mubai's claims. Now here they were in China, at a small temple which had been hidden in the basement of an office building. Mubai and Julie were both fighting a group of the Jade Fox Clan. At one point, Mubai reacted too slowly and was stabbed in the side. Seeing this, Julie shouted in anger and was then overwhelmed by visions. She was fighting in treetops, there was a battle in a courtyard, and holding her love as he died in her arms. Returning to herself, she realised it was all true. She was Xu Lian, and her lost love was in trouble. Raising the green destiny, she smiled and jumped into battle. Mm. And that's my long term. I like it. I like it. You got some romance in there even, which I like. Because that is a big yeah. part of the film, even though it's not a big part of the film, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought they deserve to be... You know, to almost be together. So, right. Yeah, I like to think they win the battle and go on. Yeah, yeah, I dig it. Very cool. Thank you very much. All right. Well, Phil, I believe it is time now for some crouching trivia, hidden trivia. I don't know. <laughs> pick, <laughs> pick your poison. <laughs> crouching yeah. tiger, trivia, hidden trivia. Trivia okay. tiger. Yeah, trivia. T- okay. Right. Uh, yeah, the actors perform their own stunts. Uh, CGI was used just to remove the wires that were holding them for some of the scenes. Uh, Zi Zhang, she was, she'd never done martial arts before. And her training was mainly in dance, and she used lots of her dance moves uh, to to work out how to do the fight scenes. Which, especially in a film, you can see that it's, it is just it is like one big complex dance when you're doing one of these these big things. Yeah. Uh, the swordsmith who made the Green Destiny and many of the other swords for the film, he was actually a neighbor of Ang Lee in Taiwan. Huh. Uh, this was Chow Yun Fat's first martial arts movie. Right. Right. And, uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon is a quote from Chinese mythology. And it refers to hiding your strength from others. Yeah. And the film was an adaptation of the fourth novel in a five novel cycle known in China as the Crane Iron Pentalogy by Du Lu Wang. Hmm. And uh, that's Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Very nice. Well, let's move on then to The Dark Crystal, shall we? Yeah, do you want to run down on the events of this one? Yeah, why not? All right. So, a long, long time ago on the planet Thra, a magical crystal is cracked, which allows two new races to appear, the evil Skeksis and the good wizard Mystics. Jen is a young Gelfling taken in by the Mystics after the Skeksis kill most of his kind. He is told he can heal the crystal if he can find a shard before the planet's three suns align. Otherwise, the Skeksis will rule forever. Jen meets Kira, another Gelfling who can communicate with animals, and her pet, Fizgig. Jen and Kira discover an abandoned Gelfling city and learn that the shard Jen has must be reinserted into the Dark Crystal. They head to the Skeksis' castle, have some run-ins with the Skeksis, and then as the three suns begin to align, Jen leaps onto the crystal. He drops the shard and Kira throws it back to him, but she is fatally stabbed by the Skeksy High Priest. Jen inserts the shard into the crystal, and the castle walls turn into bright crystal. The mystics and the Skeksis merge into tall glowing beings, known as Erskex, and they explain that they had mistakenly shattered the crystal long ago, splitting them into two races and decimating Thra. The Erskex revive Kira to thank Jen for his heroism. The Erskex revive Kira to thank Jen for his heroism, and then ascend to a higher plane of existence, leaving the crystal to the Gelflings on the now rejuvenated Thra. And that is the Dark Crystal. Uh, summed up very nicely because it's a it's a weird kind of movie, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. Mm. How, how do you feel about this movie? Uh, I like it. I think, but mainly from a technical, uh, the aspect, the fact it is, may, I think it's it's pretty much all puppets and, you know, fantastical scenery and the craftsmanship which went into it right. of both the creation of the, the puppets in the world and also the actual puppeteers controlling them is just, it's astounding. Yeah. Uh, but on the whole, it's, I mean, a bit like with Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, I'm, whenever I see it, I always have this feeling of disappointment. Right. I enjoy some of the moments, but as a, on the whole, it's, it's just, oh, I don't know. Yeah. I hear you. Maybe the st- maybe the story just isn't. It's it's the usual quest kind of story, isn't it? But uh, mm. what about you? I'm pre- I'm very vague because that's sort of how my feeling is about the film. It's it's I neither love it nor hate it. Yeah, well, I think I've told the story before about how I was very excited for this film when I was a kid, and I saw it when I was quite you know fairly young, and and the Skeksis yeah. scared the crap out of me. Uh, which really yeah, soured yeah. me on the film. But, you know, I went back and watched it as an adult, um, I don't know, five years ago or so. And I thought, all right, well, let me watch it now. Or, you know, 
with grown-up eyes and I'm not going to be scared and, you know, see if I can appreciate it. And I, I still really just don't like this film. Um, you know, I can appreciate its technical achievements. I mean, it yeah. filmed completely with puppets and, you know, it does have a neat uh, sense of, of production design and, and a visual design. Um, but I just don't get why people love this movie so much. And I know that they do and that's why we're doing it. It's a very well-loved cult classic. I mean, yeah. people grew up with this movie. They love it. And I know they're working on a, a series for Netflix, I think. And, you know. Yeah, it's going to be a prequel, which I'm actually, I'm, I think I'm looking forward to the prequel more because I do, it's watching the film. It does, it touches on that there's this, this, this world's got this like history, you know, there's thousands of years ago, the crystal was shattered, but there's been all these events going on, but we only see a tiny part of it. And I think the world itself, the world building, there's a chance there probably is bigger stories there and bigger things. I know it'd be interesting to see more about the Skeksis and how that came on, but I hope it touches on other things as well. Right. So I think, I think the TV show could be one of those ones which ends up being better than the film it's based on. Uh, certainly possible. But, I could, I could be wrong. You never know. We'll have to wait and see. Fingers crossed. Yeah. All right. Well, meanwhile, Phil, why don't you take us into your day after? Uh, Jen sat with Kira for a few days while she regained her strength. The podlings and animals who had survived stayed close, but all gazed in wonder at seeing the land around the crystal castle was now blooming with life. The light of the complete crystal bathed them all in its peaceful glow. But elsewhere, deep below the land and on the other side of the planet Thra, something large, something ancient began to stir. It had sensed the crystal becoming whole again. Something had to be done. It began to move. Mm. And that's my day after. That sounds ominous. Mm. It does, doesn't it? It does, but I like it. Thank you. Uh, but what's going on with your day after? Okay, well, the Gelflings all come out of hiding and make their way to the new Crystal Palace. They appoint Jen and Kira as the new leaders, and they sing their traditional song of rejoicing. Jen and Kira find that life is fairly idyllic now. Nobody wants a repeat of what happened with the Skeksis, and so all the various races of Thra get along and live in harmony. However, after a decade or so of peace and harmony, a strange illness overtakes the land. One by one, the various races of Thra begin to die off. The Gelflings seem to be immune, but before long, ancient races such as the dragons, dwarves, orcs, elves, gremlins, banshees, trolls, leprechauns, giants, ents, mermaids, centaurs, and other races are all gone, and only the Gelflings are left. Life on Thra has become very precious. And that's where we're going to leave it for now. Oh, interesting. Mm. And also very sad. Yes. Yes, it is a mm. little bit. But okay. it'll it'll come back around maybe. We'll see. Okay. I like it though. Thank you. Thank you. Meanwhile, let's hear what's going on with your immediate aftermath. Okay. Jen and Kira had spent the last few months traveling the land in search of other Gelflings. They both thought that they were the last of their kind. But as they'd found each other, there was a chance that there could be more. During their travels, they marveled at the changes in the land after the crystal had been repaired. Everywhere was vibrant and full of life. They had witnessed strange cities, weird creatures and more, but on the whole, everything was fresh and exciting. Elsewhere, the ancient creature was moving slowly. The crystal called to it from the other side of the world. When it moved by, it left a trail of devastation behind it. That's my immediate aftermath. Mm, still ominous, but I like it. I like where you're going get, with it. It's getting closer. <laughs> and no, it's not Doomsday. Okay. I'll just uh, clear that. All right, is it Godzilla? Damn it, why do I think it's Godzilla? <laughs> Godzilla would have been a lot better. <laughs> okay, but what's going on with your immediate aftermath? Well, 100 years later, only a few thousand Gelflings survive. One is named Ivy, and she's the direct descendant of Jen and Kira. And she prays to the heavens for guidance as she tries to lead what's left of her people. She's shocked when her prayers are answered. From the sky, a glowing figure descends. It's an Urskex in its ascended form. It tells Ivy that there is simply nothing to be done. It is just a natural occurrence for which there is no cure. It is the destiny of the planet Thra for the great races to die out. But, the Erskek tells her, Take comfort in knowing that someday the planet of Thra will play a major part in the fight of good against evil. And without Thra's participation, the forces of evil will overtake the universe. Ivy finds peace in knowing that her world will play a role in the bigger picture in the greater good. She softly begins to sing the Gelfling Song of Rejoicing before closing her eyes and settling in for a long sleep. And that's my immediate aftermath. Ah, oh, okay. Sad, but there's a sad, but a bit of hope there. But... Yes, yes, exactly. Oh. That's what I was going for. Oh. All right. Well, don't get too melancholy. I think I'll, I think I'll bring it around. It's just too, it's too late, man. <laughs> All right. Well, I want to hear what's going on with this uh, big. Cheer up, this... Phil. Cheer up. <laughs> yes, Phil. Cheer up. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I will. Okay. I'm back, Mike. I'm back. I'm glad to hear it. Uh, go ahead and uh, give us your long term. I want to hear what's going on with this big, uh, big evil monster force thing. Okay. Jen and Kira had returned to the Crystal Castle after many adventures. They had discovered a lost tribe of Gelflings, saved a couple of civilizations, met various odd beings, and learnt new skills and abilities. Now they felt they could relax. 
They had a few weeks of peace until they felt the ground shake and heard a dreadful roar. Dashing outside, they witnessed the ancient creature. It was a giant version of Fizzgig. <laughs> Jen and Kira stood stunned for a moment before turning to their Fizzgig. If the small ball of angry fur had shoulders, it would have shrunk. <laughs> then it was time for action. Jen rode out to battle. Kira called to the creatures around the castle to follow Jen before she headed to the crystal. Focusing her power, she reached out with her mind and was almost swallowed by the power held within the crystal. She stayed strong and then focused once more on the ancient creature outside. It seemed to be composed of pure hunger and had a need to consume the crystal. Reaching deeper, she found it being created by the Skeksis shortly after the crystal had been broken. Its purpose was to destroy the crystal once more and bring back the Skeksis. Through Jenna's army of creatures battling in the physical world and Kira soothing the creature's mind, they were eventually victorious. The creature was absorbed by the crystal and was finally at peace. The world of Thra had now finally entered a true golden age. And that's my long term. Very nice. I like it. I, I, like, the, I like that more than I like the movie itself. <laughs> okay, I just I just had this vision of like a giant fizz. I think it's awesome. I, I would I would is, love to see basic, that. Yeah, if you haven't seen a film, he's basically all mouth. Right. All mouth and fur. Yeah, a little fuzzy. So I just had visions of that. Yep. Like a moon, almost a moon. Right. Fizzgig moon. <laughs> okay, well, that was my long term. What's going on with yours? All right. Eons later, the planet of Thra is once again teeming with life. The Gelflings had faded away centuries ago, but a few had survived long enough to procreate. Their ancestors had begun to evolve, and over thousands of years, a transformation had slowly taken place. The new creatures were very different from the Gelflings. They lived much simpler lives, hunters and gatherers mostly, but with tribes of very close-knit communities that lived among the trees. All of the old Gelfling and Skeksi structures were gone now, long ago having fallen to the unstoppable forces of Mother Nature. But the prophecy had come to pass. When the rebels had come to Thra, a planet now called Endor, the Gelfling's descendants, or Ewoks, had played a vital role in defeating the Empire. That is awesome. <laughs> Thank you. When the enemy had been defeated, the Ewoks began to sing the traditional Gelfling song of rejoicing, called Yubnub, the only aspect of Gelfling culture that had survived the evolution of Thra. And that's the end. Ah, oh, that's brilliant. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, I like the idea of all these, you know, all these fantasy creatures, you know, sort of dying off, but eventually evolving into something that we are familiar with. And many of us do love, even if there are some people out there who don't. Yeah. Oh, excellent. Oh, I really like that. Thanks. I didn't see that. I thought it was going to be like uh, our Earth or something like that. But no, I'm, that was brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad you I'm glad you enjoyed it. No, it was really good. Great. All right. Well, Phil, do you have anything from the Trivia Crystal to share with us? I do. As we already mentioned, at the time this was made, it was the only live action film in which a human character made no appearance. There are some long shots where there's some people in wearing like uh, masks and being some of the Gelflings or characters, apparently. But uh, it is pretty much all puppets all the time. Right. Uh, the, the movie's concept artist, Brian Froud, and puppet designer, Wendy uh, Midner, they met on the set of the movie and were later married. Oh, that's fun. Uh, that's a nice little bit. Uh, and he also spent about five years of his life, Brian Froud, designing all this and from the, from beginning to end, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, early drafts of the script had Jen and Kira traveling through the underworld and meeting a race of mining creatures. This was shelved, but the concept was later used in a little show called Fraggle Rock. Uh, that's fun. Yeah. So that's uh, The Dark Crystal. Very nice. All right. Well, there you go. So those are our endings for Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and The Dark Crystal. Uh, now it's time to move on to our 100 years of Hollywood in 100 episodes, wherein we take a year from the past century of Hollywood and share our top 10 films. But as we've already finished all of the years of the past century, now we're going back and we're visiting the movies we missed, which is films that just didn't make the cut the first time around or films that we've seen for the first time since we did those lists. And this time we are doing the 2000s, which encompasses everything from 2000 to 2017. We are not going to be discussing any movies from this year because in just about another month or two, we're going to do our end of the year wrap up with our top 10 films of 2018. But uh, we had plenty to choose from between 2000 and 2017, wouldn't you say, Phil? Oh, good God, just a bit, yeah. There was there was uh, many, many films. Yeah. I, I think I've narrowed it down to a good a good selection. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I'm, this is definitely a list that I think would stand on its own as a good top 10 list. 
if all the movies had come out from one year, you know what I mean? But this is a really, it's this is not to me like a list of cast offs. You know, I think a lot of it is movies I had not seen. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. I want to say, I think almost every film, all but one or two films, I believe are films I did not see when we did the, their years initially. So these are almost all newer discoveries for me. So it's a really oh, potent cool. top cool, yeah. 10 list of stuff that I, I truly love. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I've got a few, I've got a two or three that I hadn't seen, but uh, on the whole, I'd seen them before, but just hadn't hadn't watched them again for a while, or they just passed me by when I was doing the list for the other, for the previous years. Right. Yeah, I quite like what I've got. I do as well. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it to you to start, Phil. But before we do, I have an honorable mention of sorts, a number eleven, if you will. Okay. And the reason I'm doing that is because I don't know where to put this movie on any list at all. It was, I think maybe your number one from 2017 wasn't on my 2017 because it was one of those limited release films that only got very small release here in the U.S. for Oscar season in 2017. Then it got a wide release in 2018. So I was like, well, do I put it as like one of my top films? So I wait for 2000. Originally, I was going to wait for 2018 and put it on my list. And then I got all confused. I said, you know what? It's getting a special (laughs) mention. So my number 11, although it would probably be a lot higher. Uh, is Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri. Oh, yeah, that was my number one for last year, yeah. An amazing film. That's what I thought. And I thought it seemed weird to have you have it number one for 2017 and me have it, like, maybe number one for 2018. So it's getting a special mention here. It's a brilliant film, great performances. It's it's dark but funny and moving and exciting and original, and I loved every minute of it. So uh, it would definitely be in probably the top two or three of any year list that i might put it on i just can't figure out what year to put it on so that's why it's getting a special mention here oh no i'm glad i'm really glad you enjoyed it i'm glad it's uh it's worth getting a mention now because it is a it's, a it's an amazing movie yes so there you go so that's uh three billboards i had not seen it last time um but now it makes the list for sure yeah and it's uh it's one i i want to rewatch again well that's your number 11 yeah but uh my number my number 10 then of the list is uh it's a there's a couple of films here the first one is uh from 2012 it's a french german film called Holy Motors, directed by Leo's Carrex and stars Dennis Levant. And this is a real weird one. Yes. Yeah, it's... uh, I really don't know how to explain it. (laughs) I don't know that you can. I know, but it's basically... Levant plays this guy called Mr. Oscar, who seems to be an an actor. He basically plays these different roles, like this weird guy living in the sewers. This guy is a family guy. He gets taken around in this limousine as he's doing that. He's putting on different makeup and costumes, and then he he does these strange things with people. Uh, but there's no, there doesn't seem to be any cameras filming him or things like that. And uh, none of it's really explained or anything. But I was just fascinated by it because, first of all, Dennis Levant just does, he's in every scene. And all these different characters he plays are totally different. So it's just great seeing him do this. Uh, but it's just, it's this kind of thing where you're watching it and at first you're going, what the hell? I don't understand. And then you, you go further on, you still don't understand. But it's sort of, it's almost hypnotic in a way. It stayed with me. And I just think it's, I think it's really good. I do think that, but I'm not sure. But anyway, it's uh, my number 10. Uh, but it's also uh, number 10 is a film from 2013, which was written, directed, edited, produced, composed, designed, and cast by Shane Carruth, who also stars in the film. He was known for Prime, or that brilliant time travel one where you have to watch it a few times, and even then you're not sure what's going on. But this one's called Upstream Colour. Unlike Primer, you have to watch it a few times to see what's going on because it's another weird one. And it's uh, people get kidnapped and they have to swallow this this maggot larva thing which mm. which makes them act a bit weird and then it's this turns out this creature's actually lived forever and people who have this larva inside of them are connected and again like with holy motors i i think it's a great film but it's it's one of those ones where you go and at the time you just i think it just overloads your brain and you go what the hell have i just watched and so you watch <laughs> it again and yeah it's I like films like that, but I'll leave it there. It's my, they're, they're both my number 10. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of Holy Motors. I have not seen Upstream Color, but I did hear a lot of good things about it. So, um, yeah, interesting. Yeah. All right, well, uh, my number 10 is a very similar film to those two films, I think. It is from 2002. It's Barbershop. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, almost when you were describing the plots Pretty of those much, two yeah. films, I was like, did, yeah. did did barbershop just you know did they just rip off barbershop like what what's going on? Uh, here's the they're thing. basically like the trinity the trinity of those. <laughs> right exactly. <laughs> you know, I, barbershop is a film that came out in 2002, and I, I'll admit I ignored it because I just didn't think it looked all that good. Um, you know, it, it it looked fine. I just didn't wasn't something I needed to rush out and see. And 
Obviously, I didn't because it took me about 15 years to get to it, but they put out a Blu-ray, like a new version of a Blu-ray a couple months ago. I got a copy to review, and I was like, oh, I'll check it out. It, you know, it spawned like four sequels or whatever, so it can't be that bad, and I really, really enjoyed it. It's funny. It's got a good story. Uh, it's got some interesting things where there's like this one side plot that you keep waiting to see where how it's going to tie into anything else, and then it ties in in like a major way. And it's just got an, an amazing cast. I mean, besides Ice Cube, you've got Cedric the Entertainer, Anthony Anderson, Sean Patrick Thomas, Michael Ely, Keith David, and, and Eve, the rapper, who's a surprisingly good actress, actually. Um, but I, I really liked it. It's kind of a it's a comedy, but with some dramatic moments and, and uh, you know, great characters and a lot of good humor. And it's well written. And I enjoyed the heck out of it. So that's my number 10. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's one of those ones I've never seen, but like you, I never really fancied it, but uh, I'll have to. Yeah, it's, it was a, a lot watching, better yeah. than I expected it to be, you know? Yeah, cool. Oh, that's a good pick. Uh, okay, well, my number nine is, uh, it's, again, it's two more films. Uh, the first one is, again, it could be, it's pretty much practically the same as Barbershop, but it's uh, The Road. Oh, yeah. I mean, the 2009. spiritual brethren, for sure. Yeah, but uh, I, first, I thought this had been on my, my top 10 list for that year, but obviously not. But it's based on the film by Cormac McCarthy and stars Viggo Mortensen and Cody Smith-McPhee, his father and son, trying to survive in a post-apocalyptic wasteland. And it is just them. Um, this isn't your Walking Dead kind of two people trying to survive. And whenever there's other humans involved, you just want to get away because everybody's out for themselves. Uh, it's It's depressing. It's dark. It's gritty. It's grimy. But it's... It's probably one of the most realistic portrayals of what it would be like if a huge... In this case, you're never quite sure what's caused the apocalypse, but what's caused you know, the demise of humanity, we don't know. But it's it's probably... This is what, probably what it'd be really like. But it's great just seeing this love that, between a father and son and what's, how far a father will go to protect his child. Uh, and even when... Because I, I remember reading the book, and it is, again, it's depressing as well, but both with the book and the film, at the end, there's this tiny little spark of hope which just seems to, every time when I think back to it, it just seems to build and build. And it's, I'm not going to say uplifting, but it's it just leaves you with this little bit of, well, there's still a chance. Right. And I, I think sometimes that's all you need. But uh, I thought this was extremely well done. And Viggo Mortensen was just amazing. I mean, he's pretty amazing in everything he does, but this he was just outstanding in this one. Yeah. Uh, and that's part one of my number nine. <laughs> and the second one is uh, one called, it's based on another novel. This one is John Dies at the End. Oh, right. Came out in 2012 and uh, adapted by Don Cos Coscarelli, who uh, did the Phantasm films. And again, like the first two films I mentioned, Holy Moat, this, it's hard to explain this one. It's basically about people, these two guys, who take this drug called soy sauce, which changes their perception of reality. Uh, and it's a weird, bad trip. It's all these crazy characters. And honestly, yeah, honestly, if you try and, if you, you'll know exactly what I mean. You can't describe it. Oh, it's yeah. a weird film. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, my number nine is from 2003. It is an action thriller, and it is called Basic, and it stars John Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson and Connie Nielsen and Tim Daly, and it is directed by the great John McTiernan. Uh, and this is an interesting one. I, I found it on one of the streaming services just a couple months ago, and I was like, I must have seen it because, you know, 2003, I was watching all those kinds of movies, John McTiernan directing it. You know, I like John Travolta, Samuel Jackson. It rings a bell for me, but I can't remember it. Right, exactly. And that's what that's exactly the reaction I had. I was like, well, it seems like I should have seen it, but I don't think I did. So I watched it, and I have to say I enjoyed the heck out of it. Basically, John Travolta ba plays a guy, a military, ex-military, who comes in to, to investigate th this uh group of, of army trainees who go out in the middle of a hurricane and only two of them come back alive and he goes in to investigate and then it sort of has almost like a bit of a Rashomon kind of thing to it where you hear everyone's stories and they sort of play out as they're telling their stories and each one is different from the other person's stories yeah yeah uh, and it has a lot of twists and turns in it there's a couple of really good surprises in it it's got a great supporting cast like Giovanni Ribisi and, and Tay Diggs um, and it's just really fun. It's a, it's a fun action thriller. It keeps you guessing up until literally the very last scene of the movie. Uh, and I enjoyed the heck out of it. And I don't know if I saw it and forgot it or I've just never seen it. But either way, uh, John McTiernan makes great action films. So number nine is Basic. Cool. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I know that film, but I can't remember. <laughs> I know the, I know the wow. feeling. Okay, I'm going to abstract that one down. Okay, that's excellent. Okay, my number eight is one from... 2015 which i hadn't seen until a few months back this one's it's a german crime thriller called victoria directed by sebastian shipper but this one uh, i mainly wanted to watch it though because it's uh, it was all filmed in a single continuous take oh cool and it's 138 minutes long wow so that's a hell of a thing but it follows this girl victoria she's a spanish girl she's moved to berlin she's been there for a few months she's working away meets these young guys these young men and then she ends up getting 
involved with them and ends up having to rob a bank with them because reasons. Uh, but you're following through on the bank, the bank job, and it's all a bit crazy. And then on the, the run from the police and things happen like that. But it's you're watching it and you're going, oh my god, because I love I love one takes and you see them more and more, like especially in TV shows. The recent uh, Haunting of Hill House episode six had loads of, I think it was just basically three or four one take scenes. But this one. It's all one take, and you're just going, "How the hell have they done this?" It's amazing. Right. Reading a bit about it as well. Apparently, they had uh, they had enough money to do three takes. Oh wow! The first one, it, the director was saying the cast was too timid. Right. So they had a talk. The second take, the cast were too crazy, <laughs> and then uh, the director had a full blown panic attack and was going, "What the hell? We've already got. We've got to do one more," and just exploded them all. And then they made the film, and it 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 does work really well. You're thinking, "Well, it can't," but it's it's good characters. Uh, it's good acting, and it's just phenomenal that you can do this all in one take. But it's Victoria. That's my number eight. I will definitely have to check that out. That sounds very cool. Mm, it is. All right. Well, my number eight is the first of two ties on my list, and it is both uh, – they, they are tied because they are both horror movies, although they're very different kinds of horror movies. Uh, the first one is from 2004, and it is the original Saw. Oh, cool. And the yeah. second one is – from 2017, and it is Happy Death Day. Um, now, I had never seen Saw before until very recently. I I had uh, actually hadn't seen very many of them. I, I watched a couple of the, the last few sequels because I had to review them, but I never saw the original film, and I just knew it had kind of devolved into this series of you know ridiculously gory yeah, yeah. horror movies. But the first film is really really good. It's very intense. I didn't know what to expect. I kept watching it, going, I thought this movie was about this. I thought it was about two guys in a room talking, and one of them has to decide if they want to saw off their leg or not. And that is not what the film is about at all. Yeah. It's very different from that. It's not even as gory as you've heard as well. Right. It's not nearly as gory. Uh, it's actually very subdued in terms of the gore. It does have some disturbing concept in it, but it's not an overly gross film in that respect. But I really enjoyed it. I, I was, I was, It was such a different film than what I was expecting. It kept me guessing pretty much right up until the end. So I, I enjoyed that. And then Happy Death Day, which came out last year, is just a lot of fun. Yeah, I've, still, I've still not seen that one. I do like the, I do like the idea. Yeah, it's so it's, you'll enjoy it. It's basically Groundhog Day as a horror film, as a slasher film. Uh, the girl they got to do to play the lead is terrific. The, the The movie concept works really well. It's got a lot of humor in it. It's well played, and I just enjoy the heck of it. Oh, excellent. Okay. Yeah, so two good horror films, very different in tone, uh, but both ones I enjoyed immensely. Brilliant. Uh, yeah, I do like Saw. I just thought I thought it was quite a clever film. It's sort of, because of all the sequels, it's sort of yeah, it's been diluted right, a bit. You but... forget that the first one is actually a really good, tense thriller. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Okay, my number seven is uh, from 2010. This one's uh, a Norwegian film. It's Troll Hunter. It's like a found footage movie. bunch of students making a film following these local hunters. Then you find these odd tracks. Then you find this odd guy, and it turns out he's hunting these trolls. There's a number of different types you see in the film, but it's just great. It's done so well because it's the the troll hunter guy. He's you know he's serious, and it's these things. The effects are great, and because it's all you know like found footage, it's it does you know the effects don't have to be that good, but it works well on on there. The story's really good, uh, and I just like the journey the characters took and what happens at the end, and just seeing these you know creatures of ancient myth being treated as you know as if they're a real thing was great and some especially the giant ones when you see them striding over the landscape is, is uh, phenomenal that's my number seven yeah i like troll hunter actually it's a good film i, I had a lot of fun with that one didn't make my list but uh, but i do enjoy it so good yeah film. yeah all right my number seven is probably the most controversial uh film on my list in terms of it making anybody's list but i really like it it's from 2007 it's the invasion starring nicole kidman and daniel craig okay uh, and it it is basically the updated version of you know Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and it yeah, was yeah. savaged by critics. It was a bomb at the box office, and I don't know anybody else who who likes the film, but I think it's really great. I liked it a lot when it came out. I didn't, you know, I hadn't seen it. It didn't make my list the first time because I'd kind of, you know, I think it made my short list, but didn't make the final cut. I rewatched it just recently because I was kind of in the mood for something, you know, fun and fast paced, and I really enjoyed it. Again, I think it's a really good sci fi thriller. It it takes. You know, yes, it's not as as complex maybe as some of the earlier versions of Body Snatchers. You know, it doesn't get as much into the sociopolitical stuff, but it's just as far as just being a great sci-fi movie about aliens taking over people's bodies, I like it. And it, they kind of amped up the action, which gives it a different feel yeah. from the earlier versions. So it's sort of like, you know, it's got the Wachowskis were involved with some of the the reshoots and stuff. It's kind of like if you want like a Wachowski brothered version of Body Snatchers, this is the movie for you. So I like it a lot. I don't care if other people like it or not. It's The Invasion from 2007. Cool. I've not actually seen that one. Oh, really? It's good. Yeah, it's really so, good. I yeah. like it. Yeah, because I do like the original films. And, I mean, uh, it's different. You're not yeah, going to get the same I don't know why experience. I've never seen it. Probably because everyone said it was terrible, but it's not. 
That's probably why. Yeah, I'll have to give it. A, I'll give. I'll try it out. Okay, my number six is uh, from 2007. This one's also based on a Cormac McCarthy novel. It is uh, No Country for Old Men from the Coen Brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tony Jones, Javier Bardem, and Josh Brolin. I, I saw this at the cinema, really enjoyed it, and then watched it again near the start of the year and enjoyed it even more. I know some people find the ending a bit weird, but uh, no, I really like it. The performances are great, especially Javier Bardem's uh, character. He's so scary, but I just I think... Uh, Josh Brolin as well, you know, finding this this money in the uh, suitcase of money. This cat and mouse thing which is going on, but then you, as it moves on, you realise the film isn't actually about the cat and mouse. It's all just about fate and circumstance and growing old and things like that. But uh, it moves at its own pace and it's tense and scary in places. But uh, I really like it. It's not my number six. All right. I, I, I love that movie. And honestly, the only reason it didn't make either of my lists is because I find the ending to be a huge letdown. Uh, I just yeah, yeah. I find the ending just doesn't resolve things or explain things enough in a way that I liked, and I just I just don't care for the ending, and it kind of it takes away from the impact of the film for me. But it is a great. I know film. what you mean, but I I enjoyed the ending more the second time round. Yeah, I can I can see that. Yeah. All right, very good. So uh, my number six is another tie. This starts a string of movies on my list that are all films that came out I think towards the end of the years they were released, and so I didn't see them till they were on video, typically in the following year. By which point we had already done our. Top 10 list. <laughs> Number six is a tie between two films. This is probably one of the thinner links I found between two films. They're both based on real life events, is what I'm going to say. Okay. Okay. Uh, one of them is a documentary, one of them is not. The documentary is called Eight Days a Week from 2016. It is Ron Howard's documentary about the Beatles touring years. Oh, yeah, yeah. Forgot about that. It's huh? utterly fantastic. I mean, I'm obviously a huge Beatles fan anyway, but it really it, it has great interviews with the band. I learned stuff about the Beatles I didn't know before, which is hard to say at this point because I, you know, I've devoured everything I could ever find about the Beatles. And it has some amazing concert footage from back in the day that I've never seen. Uh, it's really just a, an amazing film. The other film is from 2017. It is not a, a documentary, but is based on true events. It is The Disaster Artist. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Starring James Franco and Seth Rogen. I like that film. Yeah, I liked it a lot, actually. It's based on the making of The Room, the Tommy Wiseau film that's become like the biggest cult classic, you know, in the history of the world. It's loved by movie stars and it's become this, it's taken on its own life. And this film is the making of that film, how it came to be. And James Franco is terrific as this. You know, weird character Tommy Wiseau, and and you know, if you had told me that a movie with James Franco and Seth Rogen was going to be in my top ten list, uh, <laughs> I would not have believed you. But I really, really enjoyed this movie. It is fascinating, and they do a even if you haven't seen The Room, uh, you'll still enjoy the heck out of this movie. Oh yeah, definitely. I haven't definitely. seen The Room still, and I I love this movie. And at the end, they do do some split screen comparisons between the reenactments and the original footage, and it is uncanny what they come up with and how much it looks like the real film. So, yeah, it's a brilliant movie. I love it. It's The Disaster Artist, and the other one is Eight Days a Week. Brilliant. Excellent choices. It is crazy watching The Disaster Artist and realizing that Tommy Wiseau is a real person. Oh, yeah. And James and James Franco probably wasn't overacting. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. He really wasn't. Yeah, if you've not seen it, go watch it. It's very good. Indeed. Okay, good choice. Uh, my number five, I think it might have been your list from... It's from 2017. It's War for the Planet of the Apes. Uh, no, no, I did not like that's the, that's the third one, right? Yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't like that movie at all, actually. No, I because I, I, I rewatched it again because uh, I really liked the first one. I liked the first two. Uh, when I first saw War for the Planet of the Apes, I was I thought it was really good, but didn't quite like it as much as the others. But I watched them all three again, back to back, over a day and a half, and it was uh, it re- it. It just it made it pop for me all the more seeing these three films together, and it's all it's a great story. I love what happens with Woody Harrelson and and his interactions with Caesar, uh, but yeah, it's a it was a good ending, and on the whole, it was a brilliant trilogy, and that's my number five. Yeah, good pick. I I like the first two films. I really had a bad reaction to the to that third one. I just didn't like it at all. I I can recognize the technical achievements of it, but story wise and tone wise. Uh, just just didn't work for me for some reason, even though I know most people felt like it was the best one of the three. So no, go figure. That's, that's cool. Uh, my number five is from 2016. It is a most excellent film. It was nominated for some awards. I did not see it until it came out on video in 2017. It is Arrival, starring Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner. Yeah, great film. I really enjoyed that one myself. Yeah, I, I, you know, I watched it on video and I, and I liked it. And I actually went 
just a couple of weeks ago with a friend wanted to go to a, a local film festival. They were doing like a little science fiction film festival, and that was one of the movies they played. So we went and saw them do a little discussion about it, and then we watched the film up on the big screen, which I hadn't seen it before, and then had a little dis- like a Q&A afterwards. And uh, seeing it a second time really sent home what a great film it is. Uh, the performances are amazing. The storyline is is great. It You know, on the surface, it's, it's kind of a science fiction thriller, not a fast-moving film. It's more of a, a cerebral yeah. film. But there's a lot of deeper meaning to it. But I just I love the concepts at work in it. It's such a it's an intellectual film, but it's not the kind of film where you have to watch it and feel like you're studying. You know, you can watch it and enjoy it and go along for the ride and still be impressed by what a smart film it is. And I just I really, really enjoyed it. Seeing it a second time really cemented what a great film it is. So uh, that's my number five, Arrival. An excellent choice. I'm glad you got to see that. Uh, Okay, my number four is uh, one from... 2001 again another surprise i thought this one had been on my list but it wasn't but it's donnie darko oh yeah from richard kelly yep. uh jake gillenhall and jenna malone and jake gillenhall plays donnie darko a school kid who wakes up one day by a mysterious voice and goes outside and is told by frank uh, a figure in a weird looking rabbit costume that the world will end in 28 days six hours 42 minutes and 12 seconds and then we follow him on from there mm-hmm. and it's uh it's a great film great soundtrack i remember seeing this the first time and being blown away and then Having to watch it again because it is a bit weird and trippy. Yep. But uh, amazing performances by Jake Gyllenhaal. Brilliant, brilliant film. It's another one I watched again this year. Uh, my advice, though, if you've got the director's cut, don't watch the director's cut because that just destroys everything about it. Yeah. That's uh, my number four. Well, it doesn't surprise me because Richard Kelly n- never went on to make another good movie. So uh, I think he's only made two movies since then, and they were both yeah. garbage. So. Southland Tales in the Box. Yeah, they were both pretty terrible but um mm. i love donnie darko i can't remember if it was on my list originally or not but that is a, a great choice all right well my number four is the prerequisite disney movie as you know <laughs> if there's a disney movie that i can talk about i will uh, but this one's really really good it's from 2016 again i did not see it until after we did our top 10 list for the year it is moana oh yeah yeah one of those yeah. films yeah. i didn't you know, I thought it looked fine from the trailers. It didn't have me excited about it, but I didn't want not want to see it. I just thought it looked like another good Disney film. But I was really, really impressed by how good it is. It is not just a kid's film. This is a movie I think anybody can watch and really enjoy. Um, you've got Lin-Manuel Miranda doing some of the songs or co-writing some of the songs for the film. And, and the songs in, in Moana are really fantastic. You're welcome. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And it's just it's fun. It's funny. It's heartfelt. It's moving. It's got great characters, even like the little chicken. Hey, hey, like just it's got some great physical comedy. It's got, you know, great dialogue, witty comedy. It's a smart film and it has a great positive message in it, too. And I, I really adore that film. I, I do think it, that Disney hit it out of the park with that one. And visually, it just looks astounding. So it uh, really just puts all the pieces together, and it's an excellent, excellent film. So uh, number four, easy pick for me, Moana. Uh, didn't make my list the first time because I just hadn't seen it yet. Yeah, an excellent choice. I didn't see that for a long, long time as well. It was only about the uh, the DVD off my brother yeah. and watched it with my daughter. And I, I like you, I, I, I thought it was excellent. Yep. Okay, well, uh, I'm glad I made your list. Uh, my number three is Battle Royale from 2000. A Japanese film set in just in the near future where a group of school kids uh, wake up and they're on this island and they're told by the teacher that they must go out, go out and fight and kill each other until one survives and they've got explosive collars on. And it's just amazing. Uh, Takashi Kitano's in as the teacher. It's just, it's a great film. These these characters, these school kids at first going, what the hell? We're, gonna, we're not going to kill each other. And then they... As it goes on, it's a bit like Lord of the Flies as well. When push comes to shove and the society is taken away from them, people will do whatever they can to survive. And it's got some great moments. It's quite scary in places. Uh, you're following these different people and some of the people you like at first and you think of the heroes end up not being it. And yeah, an excellent movie and it's my number four. Very good pick. I do I do like that film quite a bit. Didn't make my list, but, but I do enjoy it. So that was my number three. Very good. All right, well, my number three is a, another one that came out late in the year of 2017, so I did not see it until after we'd done our top 10 list. It is Molly's Game, uh, starring Jessica Chastain and Idris Elba and uh, written and directed by Aaron Sorkin. It's the true story of Molly Bloom, who ran illegal poker games. Uh, and became extremely rich and wealthy in doing so. Yeah, I, I watched that just the other night. Oh, really? Did you like it? I I, I really enjoyed it. Didn't uh, make my list, but no, I really enjoyed it because I I knew the basics of the story, but I liked the way how it was done. Yeah, I thought this film was fantastic. I honestly, I, I remember seeing the trailers for it when it first came out, and I was like, yeah, whatever, I'll watch it on video, you know, because like, I'm mildly. Yeah, the curious. trailers didn't do it justice. They, they sort of 
made up was a different kind of film. Yeah, and um, and Jessica Chastain is just, I mean, she's blistering in it. She's so good, and and but I just really got caught up in it. I thought the story was excellent. There was the the way it was told. I thought Aaron Sorkin did a great job with his directorial debut. Uh, it's written in a very Aaron Sorkin style, but um, I, it's it plays like a thriller, even though it's sort of just the story of this girl building these poker games and kind of getting bigger and bigger and a little more out of control. And then of course the government gets involved, you know. But it 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 really does feel like a thriller. It's so exciting and just. I just really was caught up in it, and, and I had a heck of a time watching it. So that's my number three, Molly's Game. I do think it's one of those films people are going to ignore because it just doesn't look that exciting. Uh, but yeah. I do urge you to watch it because I think you'll really like it. Yeah, it's currently on uh, Amazon Prime over here in the UK, so it's uh, it's free to watch if you've got Amazon Prime. Definitely worth it. I, I concur. <laughs> okay, my, my number two is from 2004. It's a martial arts gangster comedy. It's Kung Fu Hustle which was uh, written, directed, and produced by Stephen Chow. He also plays the lead role. And I, I've just I've seen this a few times, and it just makes me laugh so much. It's got some great fight scenes, lots of CGI in this one, but uh, Stephen Chow's character is a bit of a coward. He's a bit of a, a hustler trying to be a bit the big guy, and he's not, and he gets involved with this community. It's crazy fun, and just bits where, with a knife, he's throwing a knife and stabs himself. Oh, it just, it just makes me, you know when a film just makes you laugh? Yeah, just, absolutely. This one always tickles me, and I really, I really like it. Very cool. And it's my number two. All right, my number two is a film. This is not one I had not seen. This is one that just didn't make the cut the first time, uh, which I regret now. I believe it was on your top ten list for 2006, uh, and it just it was on my short list because I went back and double checked it. Didn't make the final cut, and and now I'm in shock a little bit. But I have rewatched it recently. It is V for Vendetta, uh, which I have now come to regard as something of a masterpiece. Definitely one of my top tens. Right. Yeah. I, um, you know, I remember when I saw it, I liked it, but I wasn't blown away by it when I, when I first saw it. And I, I'm not sure why that is. Uh, but I watched it again maybe a month or two ago. And um, I just, I found it to be everything I want from a movie. I really, really loved it this time around. I mean, you know, it looks great. The action scenes are great. The performances are amazing. You know, what Hugo Weaving does underneath a mask for the entire film is astounding. Uh, oh, totally, and, yeah. and I think, and on top of all of that, the it was eerie, the similarities between the rise to power of this British dictator and some of the things that are going on in the world nowadays and the way they explained how some of these things happened, it was really like, I, it's hard to believe this movie came out in 2006 because it's eerily prescient of some of the things that are happening now. So on top of just being an amazing film that I really enjoyed watching every minute of and, and just was blown away by, there was also this undercurrent of an amazing message to it. that I, I So I, I've urged people to rewatch this film if they have already seen it. And if you haven't seen it, definitely track it down because I do think it's a, it's a masterpiece. I think it's absolutely fantastic. So that's my number two. Oh, yeah. V for Vendetta. Totally, yeah. It does, I think it gets better with age. Right. Okay, my number one is from 2010. It's a comedy horror. And it's Tucker and Dale versus Eve. Ah, good choice. Great film. Alan Tudyk and Tyler Labine as two lovable hillbillies who just want to do up their old cabin so they can go fishing. But they keep getting interrupted by a bunch of teenagers who think that these hillbillies are murderers, but the teenagers keep killing themselves in various accents. And it just and it's just hilarious the way these teenagers end up dying in these silly accidents yeah. in wood chippers and things like that. And they all have a doozy of a day and yeah, it's really, really good. Yeah, uh, and it's every time I watch it, I notice you always see new little bits, like just little looks that the two of them give each other, or just the fact that Alan Tudyk's character just gets stung by wasps and he just has the worst kind of day all the time. Yeah, he just sees all these people, these kids killing themselves in front of him, and he's still going, "Oh, what's going on?" <laughs> yeah, but I, I love the film, and it's uh, my number one. Very good choice. I, I really like that film a lot. That scene with the wasps. Because it's not just him getting yeah. stung, but the whole scene <laughs> yeah. with that is—he's—he's uh, running with the chainsaw, oh my God. Isn't he? It, trying to get these. Uh, that, I hold that up as one of the funniest things put onto film in the last decade. I mean, that scene—the whole movie is funny, but that scene makes me cry laughing. It's so funny, yeah. you know, especially if you're yeah. a fan of horror movies. I mean, it's—but even yeah. if you're not, it is just like I literally actually played that scene for my wife. I knew she wouldn't have interest in watching the movie, but I was like, you have to see this scene because. It's that funny. So, yeah, good yeah, pick. Yeah, it's brilliant. All right. Well, my number one is a film I'm really excited to talk about. I just discovered it a few months ago. It came out in 2015. It is sort of a documentary, which I know means half people listening just tuned out, but but stick with me for a minute. It is called Raiders, the story of the greatest fan film ever made. Oh, brilliant. I've not seen this one. I keep meaning to, but I've not had a chance to. I will tell you, this is one of my favorite movies that I've watched in the last five years. It is 
the most fun, heartwarming, endearing, enjoyable film I have seen in ages. So the basic premise of it is there was this group of friends in, I think, Mississippi or something like that, some, you know, middle state. Uh, and when they were kids, after Raiders of the Lost Ark came out, they spent the next seven summers filming a shot-for-shot remake of Raiders of the <laughs> Lost Ark. Awesome. Yeah, the entire film shot-for-shot. Shot. And the only scene they never got to film was the part with the big air wing the nazi like a wing plane that that fight oh scene. yeah okay they never got to film that so oh, that's it. Yeah. a few years ago they ran a kickstarter to to fund it and they finished filming the movie with the same actors all grown up ah, cool and, oh. and edit it back in and so it's it's part a documentary about these kids making this film and what a labor of love is. And the crazy things, I mean, they set themselves on fire. They drag themselves behind trucks, like with no parental supervision. I mean, so it's a wonder none of them died. <laughs> uh, and then you also follow them uh, as they finish this scene to cre- to finish, you know, to, to, to finish the film and get this last scene they never had had finished before. And and, and the movie, the, the original film that they made as kids came to the attention of Steven Spielberg. They got to meet him and stuff. And it's just you, you watch these clips of what these kids created trying to reenact this movie with sets and costumes and everything dialogue line for line. And it's, it's fascinating and it's just, it warms your heart. And then you get to see them as adults, you know, trying to finish this film and, and sharing their recollections about what it was like growing up and, and talking about their friendships and how some of them split off and <laughs> some of them discovered girls and all this stuff. And it is just, it's, it's one of those films that I describe as magical. It will leave you with a smile on your face and wanting to watch it again the minute that it's over. And that's the highest praise I can give a movie. Oh, excellent. Yeah, it's one I always meant to watch, but I've just not been able to get hold of it. Yeah. So I'm glad it's good. It's, I, I'll be honest. It, it really, it was an easy, easy pick for my number one. There was never really anything. I, I thought about switching it out with V for Vendetta, but I can't remember the last movie I watched that made me feel as good as watching Raiders did. It's it's that good. Brilliant. What's what's it, what's it like, the footage you see of the film they made? Is it is it? I mean, it's it- it's VHS footage from the '80s, so it's grainy. Oh, okay. But I mean, yeah, you yeah. can still see it all pretty clearly. But and yeah. it, it is amazing what I mean. They built these sets in their living rooms, and they found locations, and they created. They sewed up Nazi costumes. They're talking about asking for things like fabric and tape for Christmas, and batteries and stuff. Like, I mean, just wow. It's it's amazing what they accomplished as a bunch of kids over seven years and you know and they even show these comparisons where there's scenes back to back where in one scene the kid is 12 and his voice is changing and the next scene he's 17 <laughs> you know what i mean like and it but it's that it's that kind of labor of love thing and it's just it's it's infectious the energy of it i i love it so much it's one of those films i want to share with everybody i know oh excellent uh, and it's called it's called raiders the story of the greatest fan film ever made i cannot recommend it highly enough oh, i'll have to track that down i need to watch that yeah, yeah, you'll love it. You yeah. will absolutely love it. Whether you're a Raiders fan yeah. or not, you'll love it. But if you are a Raiders fan, especially, it it will just blow you away. It's so much fun. Oh, fantastic! So there you go. That's uh, that's my number one, and that is uh, that's our top ten. Yeah, that's it. Some pretty interesting wow. films. A nice a nice mix of two lists. No overlap, so lots of good movies for you guys to go out and track down. Oh yeah, go go watch some of these ones and the ones that I my earlier ones. I'm sure you'll watch them going, what? what's he talking about? This is just, what? Yeah, what? a couple of those early ones were, are a little bit weird, but eh, you're, you forewarn people, yeah. so they know, what to, they know what they're getting into. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Sometimes I just like weird stuff, which makes no sense. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> All right, well, that's going to start to wrap up our episode, but before we go, we are going to give you a quick preview of what's going to happen in next week's episode, or I should say the next episode. With the holiday coming up in America, there's a chance we may have a mini episode air between this and the next episode but but the next full episode that you get is going to be pretty spectacular phil tell people what we're going to be talking about well it's going to be our 100th episode yes which is just mind-blowing yep uh but we're going to be going after the ending of a couple of small films (laughs) uh avatar and titanic yeah we thought for our 100th episode we're going to talk about we're going to do after the endings for the two biggest box office films in history yeah come on what more can you ask for yeah jimmy cameron has made a fair bit of money with these films hasn't <laughs> that's he? right yeah it's a james cameron double feature yeah little jimmy cameron as i call him yeah well you know i mean because you guys go back a long way <laughs> yeah you know i mean i'd call it to his face but you, you know you've got to be polite <laughs> right right of course <laughs> yeah so we're going to be doing that avatar and titanic and obviously James Cameron is working on the next four or five sequels to Avatar, so we're getting ours in first. That's right. Got to get it in now. <laughs> and when, li- when little Jimmy listens to this, he'll be going, damn it, those guys, they always come up with the best ideas. Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> That's probably what's going to happen. I, I do well, agree. Well, it's, it's inevitable. 
I think so. He'll probably call us up saying, can I actually, can I, can I use <laughs> right. this? Right. And once again, I have to go, no, James, you can't. Right. Yeah, it's not the first time. Well, probably won't be the last. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so Avatar Titanic in our 100th episode. Uh, Mike, do you want to tell them about what we'll be doing for our top 10 or maybe more list? Yeah. Well, it's going to be a double-sized uh, top 10 list. It's We have covered every year, and then we covered them again with our movies we missed. So this is going to be now our top 20 films of all time. We're going to do it. We're going to come up with our definitive lists of our top 20 films, our top 20 favorite films between 1917 and 2017. Holy crap. It's going to be a tough list to narrow down, but Phil and I are committed. I think we're going to have a lot of fun with it. So it's going to be a, a big episode, some big movies and a big list. And we are excited as all get out. Well, I'm a bit nervous. Yeah. Yeah, maybe, but maybe. I, I can exclusively reveal that both Mike and I have picked the same number one. It is, of course, Flubber. Flubber. Yeah. I mean, what, that's kind of a it's given. I mean, that's, you know, that's the given. It's the given. We we may consider putting it on sort of like a, a moratorium list so that it, we just, you know, because we just don't want to make our number one picks that obvious. Yeah. You know? oh, so. that's, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So. But we'll see. We're still figuring it out. Not many films can beat Flubber. It's true. It's true. <laughs> If if you if you're just joining us, you're gonna have to go way way back through lots of previous episodes to see why Flubber. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, I can't I can't actually explain why Flubber. <laughs> yeah. It's lost to the annals of time, but uh, there's a yeah. long long time running joke about Flubber in there somewhere. So yes. you'll, you'll you'll track it down. Yes, and if anybody is documenting all of these episodes, if you'd like to get in touch to explain when exactly Flubber first appeared in an episode, that would be great. Indeed, it would. <laughs> And then we're going to have a little bit of a change up in one of the things we do in the show. We're going to kind of relaunch our top 10 list, but more on that in the next episode. So uh, they'll still be the same show you know and love. Slightly different, mostly the same, but all in a good way. So that's all coming up next week, make sure, or next episode, I should say. Make sure you join us for that. But until then, we thank you greatly for listening, as always. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And we'll see you next week. After the ending. Well, well, this gives us it's it gives me a bit of a breakdown now because seventy one percent of them are female, hmm. which was uh, interesting. interesting. Uh, the age got an age uh, the age range forty three percent are twenty three to twenty seven. That makes sense with Spotify because that's kind of their demographic. And the age range of sixty to one hundred and fifty <laughs> is fourteen <14%. laughs> percent. Awesome, man! You know, listen. <laughs> shout out to all our hundred and fifty year old listeners out there because they just keep on keeping on, and I don't think they get enough appreciation. I'd be that. a bit pissed off though if I was one hundred and fifty one and I've not got my own breakdown. <laughs> right? I'd be like, "What? What? I don't count." Yeah, I would go, "What the hell? What? Let's ban it all." <laughs> yeah, let's do it. All right. As usual, I haven't got an intro. That's all right. We haven't had one for a while now. We just kind of make do, <laughs> and they always work out okay. Yeah, exactly. Mostly. Now you jinxed us, Phil. <laughs> yeah. All right, here we go. Oh, hello, and welcome to... No, I'm just kidding. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Nobody knew who I was till I put on this mask. Mmm, maggot larva. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fun, fun, fun pick, Phil. Okay. <laughs>